How many of you guys have ever experienced temptation in your life? Never? Never? You can go home then. You don't need this message. Hallelujah. Uh, Today, I want to talk about something I think is a pretty serious issue that all Christians deal with, and that's temptation. So let's go ahead and pray as we come to it. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you for loving us. We thank you that you are here with us this morning. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts to receive what you would have for us, Lord. We want to grow. We want to mature. We want to have a greater revelation of who you are. So thank you for ministering to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I've I've titled the message, Dealing with Temptation. Because here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you're going to experience temptation. It's not, a, uh, it's not something that might happen. It's something that is going to happen. So you need to be equipped and ready to deal with it. And temptation is, is defined as this. Temptation is a desire to perform an action that one may enjoy immediately or in the short term, but will probably later regret for various reasons, legal, social, psychological, including feeling guilt, health-related, economic, etc., Temptation also describes the coaxing or inducing a person into committing such an act by manipulation or otherwise of curiosity, desire, or fear of loss. For the Christian, what temptation looks like is desire to do something that is sin. And temptation is going to be one of those things that you're going to experience in your life because the enemy is going to use it to try to get you to fail. He's going to try to get you to turn your eyes from God either onto some sin or onto yourself. And the enemy, he he frames things in such a way that they look awesome. They look amazing. He takes this thing that we're tempted by and he frames it and and puts it in an extremely attractive light. So it's something that you just really, really want. He makes it look like the best thing that you could imagine. However, if you've ever been there and you've you've succumbed to this temptation, you know that when it's all said and done, you end up becoming overwhelmed with feelings of guilt or shame. Or maybe it's you have to deal with some real-world serious repercussions in your life when you succumb to that temptation. And what happens is, is this very thing that was supposed to, to make us happy, was supposed to fulfill some need that was right wrapped in this, this perfect uh, gift wrap to look amazing, this thing that was supposed to be great, ends up destroying us in the end. And here's the thing, like I said, we, we all are going to face temptation. Temptation is universal. So today as we go through this message and we look at some scripture, the focus of the message is one, I want you to know that temptation doesn't come from God. God is not out there trying to tempt you. He's not out there trying to test you in some way, at least not in the sense that, that God sent whatever you're going through. He also understands what we're going through. How many know that we serve a God who can sympathize with what we're going through? It's not something that's foreign to him. He understands. We're also going to point out something that I think is really important that we all need to know is that being tempted is not a sin. And finally, one of the most important things that I think we need to understand, because I think this is what gets most Christians in trouble, is that you are not alone 
in whatever you're being tempted in. So many Christians think that they're the only ones going through, so they're afraid to, to share it with somebody, to get help or to get encouragement. They think that they're the only ones going through it, which is also a scheme of the enemy to make you feel isolated and alone. And then we're going to talk about some few ways that I, I think will help you overcome temptation in your life. And finally, we're going to look at Jesus as an example of how to live our lives and how to deal with temptation. Amen? All right, so let's get started. James 1, 13 through 15 says, Let no one say when he is being tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. <laughs> you know, one of the things you might have said is, Pastor Wayne, I just thought you said that God can sympathize with me. But right here it says that uh, God cannot be tempted. Well, hold your horses. We'll get to that later. But I'm glad you noticed it. You guys are smart. I'm glad you guys noticed it. Here's the thing. While God will, can and will let us go through things, God is not the one who sends those things. God will use situations in our lives, things that we're going through. He will, he will allow us to go through them so that we can grow. Anybody ever heard the expression, faith untested is faith untrusted? One of my, my, my favorite stories that happened, uh, and, and you guys might have all heard about it because we live not too far from it, it was the Biosphere 2. Anybody ever been to the Biosphere 2? Yeah, you went? If you haven't gone, don't go. It's kind of boring. <laughs> but <laughs> it really is. Like, <laughs> it's, it's interesting to read about. Don't waste your day there. Hallelujah. So, but one of the cool things about it is, if you don't know what it is, Biosphere was a, it's a big giant dome in the desert that is completely separated from the outside world, and it's its, its own ecosystem. So it produces its own rain, it produces its own oxygen, it produces all of its of its own stuff, and, and they sent scientists in there to live, and they, they had to live off of what was there. And like I said, it was completely separated from the outside world. Um, but one of the things that they found over time is that they started growing trees in there. And when trees were small, it was no big deal. But as the trees got bigger, they began to grow, they began to get heavier. And after a certain amount of time, they ended up just falling and cracking and branches falling out and trunks being broken under their own weight. And what they discovered was is that the reason this happened is, is that that even though everything was self-contained, the one thing that they couldn't replicate like you can in the real world is weather. Now, they would get precipitation and stuff like that, but they couldn't replicate the wind. And what happens to trees, when the wind doesn't blow on them, they never get pushed back and forth, and they're, they're, the fibers in the trunk and in the branches never actually strengthen. And what happened was they never experienced any wind. They never experienced any adversity so then when, when they finally they got too big for the britches, I guess, <laughs> and the, the branches just broke under their own weight because they never got strengthened. If we do a little bit further research, you'll find that the hardest wood that you can buy, that you can find, are trees that have grown on the edges of cliffs because the wind is so strong there. They become so, the, the, the wood becomes so dense and strong. It's kind of like that with us. If you never had to exercise your faith, 
it would never get bigger. Just like we have to exercise our muscles in order for them to grow and be strong. If not, they atrophy. You know, that's one of the big issues that they have with, with astronauts when they go into space for some period of time is that there's no gravity, there's no resistance, and their, their muscles begin to atrophy. The same is true with our faith. We have to use it if we want it to grow. So God will use these situations, temptation or hard times in your life to help strengthen you, but it's not him who sends it. And God certainly doesn't tempt us. That's what it says here. He himself tempts no one. If you're facing temptation, it's not God sending something trying to test you. He's not trying to entice you with sin to somehow help you grow. That's the enemy who's doing that. He's trying to entice you with sin, not to help you grow, because he wants to see you fail. Amen? It's also one of the things, too, has anybody ever heard the expression, particularly with all the, the gender confusion going on around and uh, homosexuality and transgenderism and all this stuff? Anybody ever heard the expression, God made me this way? God didn't make anybody this way. Saying that you were made this way is just an excuse to sin. Now, here's the thing. Um, when, I was, when I was younger, and I think maybe a little bit less immature in my faith, I thought it was crazy that people would say that, that God made me this way, and that there's, I, would, I would think there's no way that they could be born this way, because God would never do that. But the reality is, is that I've changed my mind now. I actually do believe that some people can be born in such a way that, that, that they feel same-sex attracted and the reason I believe that is because we're all born broken in this world. Sin has corrupted each and every person, and some people are tempted in some ways, and some people are tempted in others. But it doesn't mean that any of those things are still okay. I, I think that we're all born broken. We're all born with things that we are, are, have proclivities towards that are sin. That would be like me saying that because I'm a man and I'm, I'm attracted to women and, multiple, and, and, and if I'm being honest, I'm attracted to, to many different women. I could say I was born this way to be attracted to women, but it doesn't mean I'm, able to, I'm allowed to act on those things because it would be sin to act on those things. Like, oh, I'm born that way. Yeah, because we're born broken. We're all born with proclivity to do things that aren't right. And the problem is, is if you subscribe to this idea, you have to take it all the way. What about people who, who are, are there, there's a, 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 a medical condition where people are kleptomaniacs, which means that they feel like they have to steal. We say, oh, no, they're, they're born that way, so it's okay for them. What about people who feel like that they have to murder? Well, they're born that way, so it must be okay for them. That's the logical conclusion. You have to take that. If we use that as an excuse for any other thing, the reality is, is that they're all sin. We're all born broken, and there's one, only one, who can make us whole again, and that's Jesus. <laughs> and the reality is, as far as how our brains work and operate, the good news is, is they've done tons of research. When I was younger, they always told us that you're, uh, I always heard that you were born with a certain amount of brain cells, and, and, and there's nothing that happens after that. that. You get what you get, and if you end up killing them, then, then you're just going to keep running lower. 
But the reality is, is that your body makes new brain cells just like it makes any other cells. And we found this thing called brain plasticity, which means that as you grow and as you get older, your brain can actually completely readjust. It can rewire itself. It can cause you to, to think and do things differently. It's, the reality is, is that even if you are born that way, you don't have to stay that way. Amen. Research shows that our brains can and do change the way they work throughout life based on how we use it. The reality is, is it's that our, our own lusts that get a hold of us, that carry us away. And a lust is just an, a, an, intense, an intense emotion or desire in our bodies for something. Now we most often associate that with sexual stuff, but it's not always just that. Because we have many desires. We have a desire to eat. We have a desire to drink. We have a desire to sleep. We have a desire to be sexual. We have a desire to be happy or content. And all of these desires are actually normal and okay. But if they're allowed to grow out of control, that's when temptation can sneak in and temptation leads to sin. You see, the desire to eat is normal, but gluttony is a sin. The desire to rest is normal. Laziness is a sin. Sexual desires are normal, but to operate on, in them outside of the bounds of marriage, which God set up, is a sin. The desire to be loved, to be happy, that's normal. Fulfilling that in any other way than Jesus leads to sin. And then there are other times in our life, the, the old ugly man who we used to be rears its ugly head. Things we used to do, we used to be involved with, they begin to tempt us. And one of the things we were talk, talking about with George this morning about temptation and we are talking about um, movies and video games and stuff like that. And, and uh, we were sort of talking about stuff that, at least for me, doesn't bother me. Violence in movies, violence in video games doesn't really bother me. But sexual stuff in video games. I stay as far away from it as I can. And I once had a person ask me, he said, he said, Wayne, you know, you're a Christian and, and I can't understand why you Christians will say, you know, be okay with the violence and the and the and the shooting and the killing, but you have such a problem with, with nudity. And I said, Well I've never been tempted by violence. But that may, that's that's for me. That's what bothers me. If if violence bothers you and, and you you can't watch that in peace, then by all means don't do it. Listen to what the Spirit is saying to you in those situations. But that's the thing. The word enticed, which is what is used up here, he says when each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Enticed there is the Greek word, de, de, I'll try to say it, deleazomenos, from the verb deleazo. And it means to bait, to catch a fish with bait, or hunt with snares. You see, the enemy is going to use bait to catch and ensnare you. And bait is different for different people. 
You see, I said, for me, I have to be careful about sexual stuff, about nudity, because that's a bait that works on me, so I make sure I don't put myself in situations where I can be tempted by it. The easiest way to be temp- deal with temptations is not put yourself in a situation to be tempted. That's the easiest way to deal with it. But for other people, different things tempt them. One, one of the things, uh, for example, for me, is I don't get offended very easily. That's never been a temptation of mine. I don't get angry. I don't get offended very easily. And, and when I do, I'm over it real quick. But I've known men who, when they get offended, they hold on to it like nothing else. But they don't have a problem with sexual stuff. and They don't have a problem with pornography their entire life. And it's really easy to go, man, I wish I, wish I didn't have to deal with that just like you. But they deal with other stuff. The problem is, is we all have our own bait that entices us and leads us towards sin. But here's the thing. The devil's going to throw his bait in the water and you're going to be tempted. But you haven't sinned yet. Being tempted is not a sin. Carrying out what you've been tempted with is a sin. If we go back to talking about homosexuality, I don't think that these people who are tempted with same-sex attraction, they're not in sin yet. It's when they carry out those temptations that they're in sin. There are actually many Christians who are same-sex attracted who have remained celibate, resisting that temptation, and they are incredible men or women of God, even though they still deal with that temptation. It's not the temptation that's the issue. It's acting on it. Amen? Let's move on. In Hebrews 2.18, it says, For he, Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Do you remember that question you guys had earlier when we first started? He said, wait a minute. God cannot be tempted? Well, here's the answer. Hebrews 2.18, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 4.15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The reason why God can sympathize with us and understand temptation is because Jesus came to earth fully man. And as a man, he experienced temptation. This is further evidence that temptation is not sin. Because Jesus was tempted, yet he was without sin. And like I said, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. He lived on earth as a man. Philippians 2, 5 through 7 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. Jesus lived and operated on this earth as a man, and he dealt with temptations like every single one of us do. The difference is, is he never sinned. He was tempted in all things and was victorious. The scripture says that Jesus was actually tempted in every way that man was tempted, and he was victorious. None of you have been tempted in every way that man has been tempted. We've all been hit with a subset of temptation, but Jesus experienced every potential temptation, every way that man was tempted, and he was victorious, which means that if we're in him, 
we can be victorious as too as well. Amen. Verse 18. Here it says that he came to our aid. And in him we can have the victory over temptation because he went through those very same things. Like I said, he's been there. It's a story that I, that, I, that I found that I think describes it very well. So some years ago, a man living in Wales had the misfortune of being involved in a mining accident which necessitated the amputation of his right leg. After a period in the hospital, he went to a prosthesis maker to be supplied with an artificial leg. And when the appendage had been strapped to the stump which was all that remained of the injured leg, the attendant requested that the patient get up and walk across the floor. Awkwardly, the man struggled to his feet and staggered across the room and then dragged himself painfully back to his chair and he slumped into it, utterly exhausted and discouraged. And the man said, that's not how to do it, said the attendant. Watch this. And then he walked gracefully across the floor. He said, ah, exclaimed the patient. It's all very easy for you because you don't have any disability. And the attendant replied, oh, haven't I? Look. And he pulled up the legs of his trousers and he disclosed that he was not wearing just one artificial limb, but two. Jesus is in the same way. We can't say, God, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand. You can't be tempted. You've never dealt with this. We were just tempted in some ways. Jesus was tempted in every way. It's kind of like the, the man saying, oh, haven't I? Look, I've got two of these artificial legs the truth is is that god set aside his godhead and walked this earth as a man with the same weaknesses the same desires the same passions all the same things that we deal with jesus dealt with so i don't think god looks down in shame at you when you're being tempted because he was there he understands and he went through the same thing 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. <laughs> one of the greatest tricks of the enemy is to make you think that you're going to be the only one dealing with what you're dealing with. You're the only one dealing with this particular temptation. You're the only one going through this particular situation because he wants you to remain isolated. The truth is, is that we're all here to walk alongside one another, to help encourage one another, to help pick people up if they've ever fallen. And he wants you to be alone. And the thing that we also need to understand from the same verse is that God will never let us be tempted beyond our ability. He will not let the enemy overtake you. He always provides a way out. You should be encouraged. The temptation will come, but there will always be a way out. Mother Teresa once said, I know God will not give me more than I can handle, but sometimes I wish he did not trust me so much. I've always liked that quote, but if, you don't, if, if, if you're astute, you'll notice that she, she kind of messed it all up. Nowhere in the Bible does it say God won't give you more than you can handle. Matter of fact, you're always going to be given more than you can handle. But he will always be with you. On your own, you could never handle any of it. But with him, you can make it out the other side. So the first thing that you should do when temptation comes your way is turn to God. Thank him for victory. Thank him for the way out. 
ask him for guidance. And the key is to listen. It's a story. A lady says, my five-year-old daughter Barbara had disobeyed me and, had sent, and I had sent her to her room. And after a few minutes, I went in to talk with her about what she had done. Teary-eyed, she asked, why do we do wrong things, mommy? And she said, sometimes the devil tells us to do something wrong and we listen to him. We need to listen to God instead. To which she sobbed, but God doesn't talk loud enough. You know, so many of us either are so occupied or busy or focused on something else that we don't hear God. Or maybe you're like me. I don't have a problem hearing from God. I have a problem listening to God from time to time. But that's the thing is that he's going to provide a way out. Ask for help and then listen. Another thing that we can do to help us from even getting in this situation of temptation is to be careful who we're hanging out with. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. <laughs> the, one of the, the, the easiest ways to deal with temptation is to lessen the opportunities for temptation to rear its head. And who we hang out with has one of the biggest influences on the things that we're going to be exposed to. If you hang around with people that are always doing sinful things, then the likelihood of you sinning is much greater. Actually, it's almost guaranteed that you're going to get caught up in that stuff. Did you know statistically your income is going to be the average of your five closest friends? Statistically, if your friends are overweight, then you're going to be overweight too. This is why parents are so concerned with who their kids hang out with. Some of you young guys in here are wondering, like, why are they always so concerned about who I hang out with? It's because they care about you. If they don't care about who you hang out with, then there's actually a problem. Because the reality is, is who you hang out with is going to influence who you grow up to be. It's as simple as that. I remember when I was younger, I used to get so upset that my mom would try to tell me who I could or couldn't hang out with. And it's funny, when you get older, you look back and you go, now I see it. <laughs> now, now I get it. I kind of wish you would have been more strict. Things would have been better in some ways, I think. The reality is, is that the, when I look back at my life, the things that I did growing up, were because of the people that I hung out with. I look back and, and times that I got involved in theft was because I was hanging out with people and that's the kind of stuff that they did and I wanted to fit in. So I did what they did. When I got involved in drugs, that's why. It's because these people that I had found to hang out with, that's what they did and I wanted to fit in. The type of things that you do are going to be the type of things that the people around you do. In Matthew 5, 29 through 30, we're going to see another way to help deal with sin or temptation. Matthew 5, 29 through 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than 
than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. <laughs> you see, Jesus is not referring to physically cutting off your hand here. How many know that a person with one hand can still sin? How many know that a blind man can still sin? The issue is not that Jesus says if you want to live your life well, cut off your hand and poke out your eye. What it is, is it's a matter of the heart. A changed heart changes your desire, but in the process of it, this is some great advice that we can take. So if you, if you struggle with lust, don't be, and really, I would say just period, don't find yourself alone in the room with a member of the opposite sex. Whether you're married or not, you young guys, don't let yourself be in a room by yourself with a member of the opposite sex because hormones make you stupid. I'm 43 years old and hormones still make me stupid. Don't let yourself be in that position. If you have a problem with drinking, don't go to a bar. You guys ever see the movie uh, A Fireproof with Kirk Cameron? Do you remember what happens? He was dealing with pornography. What did he do? He threw his computer away. See, that's what th this is talking about. If there's something in your life causing you to sin, don't let yourself be in a position where it can cause you to sin. It's better to go, out, go, it's better to go through life without ever stepping into a bar than to get caught up in, into sinning. It's better to go through life to never be alone with a, with a member of the opposite sex and all the uh, inconveniences that may bring than to have a position where you fall into sin because you didn't follow a simple rule. Remove the possibility of something tempting you by removing it from your life. It's as simple as the saying goes, out of sight, out of mind. Amen? And in Second Timothy, verse 22, it says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Sometimes we need to resist temptation. Other times, the best thing you can do is run. Not ignore it. Not just try to stand there and stay strong, particularly in sexual sin. Matter of fact, sexual sin is the only sin that we're explicitly told to run. Don't try to resist it. Don't try to see how close you can get to it without touching it. That's the, probably the number one reason Christians fall into sin is they, they see how close they can get to it without touching it. The problem is, is they almost always slip. This is also why, uh, you know, I don't believe in casual dating. Testing the field as they, they were playing the field or, or testing the waters as they would say. It. It's a terrible place to be in. The truth is, is, is dating should be the purpose of, of, of meeting and getting to know your spouse before you get married. So, Pastor Wayne, you have, to, you have to get to know them first. You have to understand they are. You can do that while you're being a friend. When you're ready to take it to the next step, that's when you date and you're, 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 you're making your way to get married because if you don't, you're going to just get yourself in a mess. Because here's the thing. 
So it's an expression my pastor used to say, and I, I love it because I think it talks about it perfectly. He would go up to these young men and these, these young women. Say he went up to a young man and he would say, is this your girlfriend? He goes, yeah. You planning on marrying her? No. Then why are you kissing somebody else's wife? If you're not planning on marrying her. You see, we saw a perfect example of this with Joseph. You remember when he was in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him? What did Joseph do? He didn't try to resist. He didn't try to stand his ground. He ran so that he didn't fall into sin. Like I said, I mean, we can look at all these different things in life. If you have a problem, struggling with, with alcohol, don't go to barbecues where they're drinking. And not everyone has the same struggle. Like I told you, the devil uses different bait on different people. But if you know there's something in your life that's causing you to stumble, do whatever you have to do to get it out of your life so that you're not tempted. Amen? The next thing you need to do in moments when you're not being tempted is to renew your mind. Romans 12 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern that it, what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. I find that this scripture here is the answer to almost every problem that a Christian has. You see, when you're born again, you get a renewed heart. The next step is to start renewing your mind, spending time in the Word, learning who God is, learning who you are in Christ. And this, this doesn't happen by osmosis. You can't sit next to a Bible and all of a sudden it's going to go in your, I wish, 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 I wish that, that you could just put your Bible under your pillow and sleep on it and wake up the next morning with perfect knowledge of the Bible. But the thing is, is you're going to need to read it. You guys want a good memory verse? Psalm 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is a good memory verse <laughs> that actually tells you to memorize other verses. <laughs> I have stored up, that was Psalm 119.11. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, we find out who we are in Christ by reading his word. By filling our minds with the word of God, we find that we are better equipped to deal with any temptation that comes our way. We learn his will. We learn that we are victorious. We learn that we are strong. We learn that we are pure. We learn that we are holy, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. And we don't just learn it intellectually, but when you spend time in God's Word, you begin to have a revelation of those truths. And there is a difference. You see, I can tell you this stuff, and you can write a note and, and, or try to remember, and you know, I know this stuff, but until you actually spend time in the Word, spend time in prayer, and have your mind renewed, then you just have intellectual knowledge of it. You don't have a true revelation in your heart of those truths. And there is a difference. There are Bible scholars who know the Bible, particularly atheistic Bible scholars, who know the Bible better than probably any person in this room, including myself, but all they have is an intellectual knowledge. They've never let the Bible's truth and power transform their lives. There is a difference. But in order to have this revelation, you need to spend time in his word to read it. 
Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And then in this application, if we memorize scripture, then we have an answer when temptation comes our way. You see, when the old man rears his ugly head again, you can quote 2 Corinthians 5.17. Say, no, I'm a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. Get out of here, old man. When we're in a place where we're being tempted, we can remember the scripture we just read and know that, you know, this is the time to flee. When we're in company with people that are not the best influence, we can remember, you know what? The scripture says that bad, bad company ruins good morals. And we can remind ourselves that no matter how difficult or how intense the temptation is, that it will not be too difficult for us to handle because he is with us and he will provide a way out. Amen? How would you even know that if you didn't read your Bible? You see, Jesus experienced all these same things that we experience. Matthew 4, 1 through 3 says, And Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. You see, the next few verses, we're going to look at Jesus when he was in the desert, when he was tempted, because he actually experienced the same temptation that we have. One, it reiterates that temptation is not sin, because Jesus was tempted, yet we know he didn't sin. But what we can do is learn a few things from this. One, we're going to see that, that you're going to be tempted in your moments of weakness. You see, Jesus was hungry and tired. He went out for 40 days and 40 nights to fast. The devil didn't show up on day two when Jesus was still feeling good. No, he waited to the end till Jesus was hungry, till Jesus was tired because he figured that would be the best time. And the devil is referred as the tempter. He's the one that's going to do it. You want to know what the first thing that the tempter said to Jesus? If you are the Son of God. If you are who you say you are. You see, the first thing that the devil's going to do is question who you are when he's tempting you. And that's what he did here. I've been thinking about this. I think I'm going to do an entire message on this idea of identity and how we live in a world where, where the devil has done nothing but make people question who they are. And they've gotten confused. Because that's what the devil does. He says, you know what? If you are. As we continue on in this story in verses 3 through 12, it says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stone to be bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you I'll give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. You notice how he keeps doing the same thing over and over, if you are. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. 
And Jesus answered him, it's, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. <laughs> the devil over and over begins to tempt Jesus by questioning him who he is. You see, that's actually what's happening to you when he tempts you with something that's against your new nature in Christ. Because he's trying to say to you, well, if you really are a Christian, you wouldn't want this. If you really are a Christian, you wouldn't be tempted by this. If you really... But Jesus was tempted. The next thing that the devil tempts him with is a shortcut. He says, hey, look at all the nations. Look at all the world. I can make you ruler over all of this. You see, it was a shortcut because he was basically saying, you won't need to die. You won't need to go to the cross. You won't need to experience pain to have authority all over this. I'm going to go ahead and give that to you if you'll just bow and worship me. He tried to offer him a shortcut. And the devil's going to do the same thing to you as well. Here, have this drink. It'll bring you happiness. Here, mess around with these girls. It'll fill that empty void. Here, have some more drugs. It'll bring you joy. It's always a shortcut to something you already have in Christ. That's the crazy thing, is that the devil's trying to make you fill a hole that if you're in Christ has already been filled. And then if you're not in Christ, that's why he keeps going after them, because they're looking to fill that hole with anything that they can. But Jesus is the only one that can fill it. And then back once again to questioning his identity, the old trick that you'll see the most often when you're being tempted. But what do you notice that Jesus did in this situation? How did Jesus respond to the tempter? He responded with Scripture. Knowing the Word of God and having Scriptures memorized will help you out of these situations that you're going to face so that you can actually preach to yourself. Knowing these things is vital to your success as a Christian because if you don't know who you are, when the devil says, who are you? You don't have a response. Having your mind renewed is the key. In the next verse, 13, it says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. See, the next thing we see is that Jesus is victorious. He responded with the word of God. He didn't doubt who he was. He's our model. He's our roadmap. He's our game plan to dealing with temptation. And if he is inside of us, and if he was victorious then that means that we are victorious in Him if we will walk out that reality in our life. However, we see something that is true for all of us. Being victorious in temptation is not a one-off thing. You don't just do it once and it never comes back. You see, the, the devil will leave you when you stand up to him. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So the devil will, will flee when you resist him. When you stand up to him, he'll head back, but he's just waiting for an opportunity to return. He'll keep coming back looking for an opportune time in your life. And opportune times are like this. 
the opportune time the devil thought was to hit Jesus up when he was tired, when he was hungry. So he's going to do the same thing to you when you're tired and when you're hungry. When you have a loved one pass and you're hurting. When you get offended by somebody, someone, especially someone particularly close to you, you're going to find yourself in an opportune time for the devil to come after you. When you see somebody that you look up to fail, maybe certain dates or anniversaries in your life, there's going to be different opportune times for different people. Be aware of those times. Avoid them if you can. If you're in them, remember to resist the devil. Respond with scripture and if need be, flee. Being equipped with the word of God will put you in a position that you can be victorious every time. Amen. And then we'll end here in verses 10 through 13. I know I went a little long today. I apologize. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. We have the opportunity and even the responsibility to be prepared for when temptation comes. We need to stand firm and stand strong in the Lord. You need to consciously put on the armor of God. If you don't know what that is, it's in the book of Ephesians. Read about it. You need to constantly renew your mind so you have the scriptures in your heart so that you can respond to them to, to withstand temptation. You see, the thing is, is, is we've been forgiven of sin, but we're not forgiven so that we can live in it. We're free from sin. We need to resist temptation, to live how God has called us to live. And we need to resist the enemy. And after having done everything, after having done everything, we need to stand firm. Another, I don't know if it's the next verse or if it's another translation, says, having done all to stand firm, Stand firm, therefore, is what it says. So basically, having done everything to stand firm, now you need to stand firm. That's what we're called to do. And be encouraged that you're not doing it alone. He is with you. He's making a way. Prepare yourself and put your trust in him. Amen.